Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Amen. Y'all doing all right? Yeah, so good to see you guys here today. Uh, If you are visiting with us today, my name is Quentin, me and my wife Jennifer. Uh, We have the great opportunity to be the lead pastors here at the Anchor Church. Uh, Today is going to be a little different. We actually have a special guest with us. Uh, We are so honored to have Pastor Ross Parsley with us from One Chapel in Austin, Texas. Uh, You know, a few years ago, to kind of give you guys some context, I had uh, really in about a a month's time, I had uh, several people tell me, hey, I think you need to meet this guy named Pastor uh, Ross uh, from Austin. And uh, one of the main voices that was kind of charging that was Britt Hancock. Many of you guys know Britt. He's been here. Obviously, he's over Mountain Gateway. Uh, You know, at at that time, I had known uh, Pastor Ross as far as from when he was a worship pastor at about a 15,000-member church in Colorado Springs. Uh, But what I didn't know was that he had, uh, God led him and his wife Amy to go to Austin, Texas to plant a church. Uh, Today they got four campuses. And another thing I didn't know was that Ross was actually Britton Audrey's pastor. And the reason that they uh, decided to put their home base in Austin, Texas was because of Ross and Amy. And so uh, a few years ago, I think uh, actually in February 2020, uh, Tommy and I had the chance to go down and to uh, go to one chapel and to meet them, see some things that they're doing. And, uh, you know, immediately from the first time I met Pastor Ross in the hallway there at the church, uh, fell in love with his heart. It was very evident that here's a guy that values relationships and he's pure as they come and uh, that he loves Jesus. And, and, you know, we've had a few moments since then. I think the next time we met him, Jen and I uh, went to a coffee shop and hung out with him for about three hours. And immediately when we left, Jen was like, we need to get him to come to the church. And so today's really an answer of prayer. And, uh, you know, this is, this man has very quickly become probably one of my favorite pastors in the nation. And so I would encourage you guys just to open up your heart, uh, lean in. I think he has a very much of a like spirit as we do. And, uh, and I believe he, you know, he just has a word from the Lord. So open your heart up, get hungry, uh, draw from the anointing on this life, and uh, just receive. Amen. Can you guys welcome Pastor Ross? It is so great to be here. Um, as, a, as new friends, Quentin and Jennifer, um, for Amy and I, you know, we're just kind of at the front of our relationship. But I'm telling you, I love these people. These are amazing people. And they happen to have five kids just like we have five kids. You know, it's five, I don't know, some about five kids, it's a big tribe everywhere you go, everybody stares at you like, you, like there's a circus in the restaurant or something going on and they just look because they're not used to seeing all those kids. But it's a blessing and I'm grateful um, to really be here and, uh, you know, first thing I want to say is... Uh, I wasn't expecting Mainers to be so expressive. Man, I, I've been to Maine one time when I was a kid, and so I don't really know much about it. But every, you know, what what are, what are the people like? What are the we come in here and you just you guys like, bam, worshiping Jesus with everything you got. The Lord's Spirit here so evident. I'm so grateful. I just started to cry over here on the front row because here's what I believe. Here you are in an old restaurant. Is that what this is? (laughs) And that touches my heart because we started in Austin, Texas. I told the Lord, we'll go anywhere except a movie theater. I don't want to be in a movie theater. So on September 12, 2010, we started in a movie theater. And and I I just, I, I was grateful for that movie theater. It was sticky floors and it smelled bad and people threw up there the night before. And it was just weird stuff going on. But we've been in commercial office buildings, we've been in movie theaters, we've been in schools, we've been all over the place in that city trying to, you know, trying to find a place. And what I learned and what I have learned is that all over the world, people are gathering right now in places like this and lifting their hands and worshiping Jesus. 
declaring his lordship over their lives and over their city. That's happening in Africa. It's happening in Europe. It's happening uh, uh, in South America. It's happening in the United States of America still. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for that. And so I just, I don't want you to, uh, I don't want to miss this moment to, to say how important that this is to worship in an old restaurant in the middle of this community. There's something emanating from this place. And you can sense it the minute you walk in here. And I've experienced that same thing in a little tiny village in Mexico. I've experienced it in a ginormous, the, the, one of the biggest churches in the world in Nigeria. I've seen it. I've felt it. I've stood there and wept before the Lord because he's doing something that is amazing. God's doing something that's beyond our capability. Amen. And so when you, when you, no, I'm already crying. This is terrible. <laughs> this is a terrible first impression. I, I, as I was, as I was worshiping, I was like, come on, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. Don't. So uh, I'll tell you a little bit about my family. Here's uh, my wife, Amy, and I. So here she is. She's the love of my life. She's amazing. She is the reason I'm still sane. Because I have problems, big problems, and she uh, is a psychology major, and so she's really helped me a lot. <laughs> it's been really, really good for me. Um, we have five kids, as I told you. Here's a, here's a picture of them. Um, we're all, so, so this is five kids plus uh, two spouses. Uh, one is actually a spouse, one's engaged uh, the two girls here on the end. And so I have four boys. There's all in the back there. Uh, Zachary is 28. Taylor is 26. Uh, Owen is 16. And Ethan is 18. And then uh, there's Grace on the end, and she's the princess in the middle. And so she's 23 years old. And um, what a blessing to have kids. Here's my belief, is that if I can as a pastor, you know, I don't know if you know this, but pastor's kids are, they can get weird. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just is what it is. Pastor's kids go one way or the other. <laughs> they either participate in the family business <laughs> or they go nuts and run away from the Lord. So I'm so grateful. Uh, Amy and I, our goal is that our kids would love God and that they would love us and, <laughs> and they would love the church. And all those kids do. And they all serve all over the church, and they, 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 the vision is as much theirs as it is any, anyone else's, and I'm so grateful for that kind of family. Then we've got uh, new additions to the family here. <laughs> this is Maximus, Maximus the Conqueror. He is, uh, he is fantastic. And then here's Georgia May is right here. She's uh, a little horse girl, and uh, her parents live on a little ranch, and so it is... It is so fantastic to have grandchildren. Who knew they could be so enjoyable, so fantastic, and then you give them back? <laughs> I mean, I never knew how fabulous that was. Um, but I'll tell you this, it's a lot of hard work. I forgot how much hard work it is, which is why for parenting, you need energy, not wisdom. Just saying. <laughs> All right, uh, and then I'll just tell you a bit, a bit about my church, uh, One Chapel. Our theme verse is John 17, Jesus prayed, Father, make them one like you and I are one. But he didn't just leave it there. He gave a reason for that. The reason for oneness is so that the world will believe that you sent me. That's the prayer of Jesus. If there's one thing I believe, it is that unity is a strategy for evangelism, which is why this can't be the only church in this region that reaches it. It's got to be others. It's got to be coordination, got to be collaboration. Jesus wants to reach this region, and he wants to do it with you, and you're going to have to lead some of it because of who you are and because of what, who Pastor Quentin is and, and because of what God is doing here, but it's going to take all of us to reach our cities, and so we—that's why we—that's why we started campuses. I've—I've I've been in a big church. I—I I, I worked for a big church for a long time. I don't have any problem with a big church. In fact, I'd like my church to be a little bigger, 
But I, but I believe that the way we grow matters. So I, I believe our church is going to be a church of five or 6,000 people in Austin, Texas, but it'll probably be 10 churches of 500 because that's where community and disciple-making can happen. So the way we grow matters. You know, if you keep growing as a human, um, you would be a freak at the end of your life. <laughs> no offense to some of you. But, but we don't grow the same way all the way through our lives, do we? We grow for a while, and then we get to a certain place in our lives, and then our growth changes into reproducing, and that's how we grow. That's how our families grow. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about reproducing today. Okay, so uh, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its power that when we share it, when we talk about it, when we, when we take it in, it has transformational effects on us. So we say we're open. Have your way, Lord. Let your light come in. Drive away every darkness, every dark corner. Dispel every doubt and bring your hope into our lives. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn, to me, turn with me to Matthew 16. Matthew 16 is where we'll start. We're going to use a bunch of scriptures. I think most of them will be on the screen. Um, but this is, uh, Jesus asks his questions. Uh, one, of the, one of the most important questions he was always asking questions. He was, he was really always having conversation with his disciples. and with. Um, it's amazing how many questions Jesus actually asked uh, throughout the Gospels. Um, he very rarely answered a question straight on. He was always creating conversation. And that's really where the power is, um, is, in, is in conversation and uh, people being awakened to what God is doing in their lives. So here's one of the most profound questions in the Bible, Matthew 16, verse 16. Jesus says, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, on, the, on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overcome it. I want you to imagine today that Jesus is asking you this question. He's asking you this question. Who do you say that I am? Do you say, oh, you're a good teacher? Oh, you're, a, you're my get-out-of-hell-free card. You're the one I go to when I get into a jam. Do you say, you're the one I visit on Sundays? Do you say, I'm not sure? What would you say if Jesus asked you this question? What, what would your answer actually be? Because your answer, my answer to this question, will determine the rest of your life. It determines the rest of our lives. Our responses literally decide for us what kind of person we're going to be, how we will live, what we will choose, what we will do with our lives. In fact, our response together as a church, as the anchor church, literally determines what kind of church you're going to be. Jesus said if we get this answer right, then we will be a church that is built on a rock. We'll have a foundation, he says, and the gates of hell won't be able to overcome it. Imagine what the, that, that might look like, just for a moment, a church that could never be defeated. A church that is overcoming and powerful, regardless of what happens. A church that is rescuing people consistently and intentionally from the torment of the darkness of their own souls. What might we be able to do? What, what, what could we be? What could you be if you answer this question really well? The answer Peter gives, of course, is you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The holy and anointed Savior of the world is what he's saying. 
the resurrected Christ, the firstborn among the dead, the king of heaven and earth, and the ruler over all powers and all authorities. And I love how Peter answers this question. And, and Jesus says, You're, you, this is the answer. And on this revelation that you just had, I'm going to build my church worldwide. Now, interestingly enough, a few minutes later, Jesus was saying to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So you can have the answer and not know how to live it out. You can have the answer, but you don't know what it really means to what happens every day in your life. If you read down a little further, Peter has this whole exchange with Jesus where, where, where Jesus is telling him what's going to happen. He's like, no, this can't happen to you. Like Peter had his own idea about what things would look like. And sadly, in our reality today, we project a lot about what kind of thing we want to have happen. And yet the brokenness all around us seems to derail the things we want to happen. The sadness of people's lives, even the brokenness within our own churches, discourage us sometimes. And I am no stranger to discouragement. I've been a pastor for long enough. Um, in fact, I, <clears throat> I've had some really hard things happen in my life Re in, in relationship to church. I was a pastor's son. That's why I know how crazy pastor's kids can be. And, and I, I grew up as a young man in a church in Colorado where the pastor was there for 20 years and failed morally in a spectacularly public fashion. And some of you may or may not know that story or you've heard uh, about things like it but it was in the news, it was public, um, it was political, uh, because he was part of the National Association of Evangelicals, he was the president. It, was, it, it happened almost 17 years ago, 18 years ago now, and I still feel it. The disappointment. And, and how, how many people feel that disappointment. 13 months after that, that same church, we had a shooting. So within one year, we had a scandal. The pastor fails morally, and then we have this shooting. A guy with a 1,000 rounds of ammunition strapped to his body comes onto our campus and starts to shoot people. And I was there that Sunday. And I, 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 I remember them breaking through the office. Uh, I was upstairs after church, and we were having lunch. Um, a guest speaker was there, and, uh, and, and, and they broke through the door, and they said, we have shooters in the building, and I remember the, the look on their faces. And it's so weird. I didn't, I didn't wait for instructions. I didn't pause to consult with the guest speaker or the pastor who was probably ready to tell us what to do next. I ran out of that office because my son was downstairs. My wife and the other kids had already left, but I knew my son was downstairs, and I'm running through the building. with I can hear the gunshots going off as I'm running through the second floor. It was unbelievable. It was something you never imagined you'd be part of. Turns out my son was hiding behind a dumpster out, way out in the parking lot. <laughs> and I'm so, so grateful for that. But two girls lost their lives that day. Rachel and Stephanie Works. And it was, this was a terrible thing in the life of this church. For a long time, it was like we were going through this process of, like every service was kind of like a funeral, you know? Because we were walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It really felt like that. But what does that little verse in Psalm 23 say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I won't be afraid, I won't fear, for you are with me. I learned that God was with us. I learned that he's with you in that brokenness, in that space where you can't figure out what's going on and why this has happened. And crying out to God, trying to figure it out. And I went through all that. I was there for a, a, a few years after the new 
pastor had come in, and it was, it was a wonderful thing. And I knew there was a, I knew there was a day when I, I knew God was like opening up my heart to new possibilities, and that's when I went and started the church. But here's the reason I tell you this story. The reason I tell you this story is because you would think that as a guy that went through something like that, and and I'd, I'd see, I'd seen it up close and personal that I would be discouraged with the church. I'd be like, man, the church is just filled with a bunch of hypocrites. Every time people say that, I think, well, duh. <laughs> like, that's all there is. <laughs> there aren't, there aren't, I don't know if you know this, but there's no perfect people. There's no perfect people. There was one, and they killed him. <laughs> And he's the sacrifice for sins for the entire world. And he's the one who makes the reason we're here. It's so beautiful. But everybody else has got big problems. <laughs> so, so you'd think I would be just totally discouraged. But something happened in my heart. Something happened in my soul during those three years of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Is I started to think to myself. I started to look back through church history. I started to realize that what Jesus said here in this passage is totally true. That he said, I will build my church. Now, Quentin's church, no guarantees. <laughs> Ross's church, no guarantees. But he said, I will build my church. I'll build my church. And so if you look back through history, what you will see is even though there is corruption within the church that need to be corrected, whether there was tyranny, whether there was persecution, whether in caves or cathedrals, God was doing something. And here we are in 2023 in an old restaurant worshiping Jesus. I'm telling you, it's worldwide. I'm telling you, it's more powerful than you think it is. I'm t what, I, what I ended up, what, what, how crazy would it be? Uh, my pastor fails, then we have a shooting. I go through this thing. Oh, what do I want to do next? I want to plant a church. What? <laughs> no, I didn't get discouraged. I saw the miracle of Jesus working in people's lives at the worst possible moments. And, I, and in the worst possible moments in the life of our church. And that church stands to this day expansive, reaching into their community because they walked through the valley of the shadow of death and believed that God was with them. And they could say it, surely goodness and mercy will follow this. And that is what we believe. And so I just want to encourage you that everything that you're doing here as a church, you're going you're gonna to get discouraged. I hate to tell you this, but PQ is not going to be perfect. I know, he's pretty close. He's pretty close. But he's still a new friend for me. So, I, you know, I'm still figuring out. Jesus said, I'll build my church, and if we'll cooperate with him. Now, here's the thing I want you to get. Jesus said he'll build the church, but he told you and me to do something else. Matthew 28, 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make, what is it? Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There it is again. I'm with you. I'm with you. Jesus builds the church. He tells us to make disciples. Now, we're tempted to try to build the church because that's more fun. I've planted a church, and I've planted campuses, and it's really fun, mobilizing people, people, getting people involved, people usher in, people doing children's ministry, people do, you know, it's like, yeah, you can't build a church if that doesn't happen, right? It's like there's a thing that, that people got to do and get involved in, but if we're not careful, we start to think that we're the builders, and we start to confuse our responsibility. We're trying to build the corporate entity Instead of the worldwide spiritual family 
that operates on a personal level. And as you guys start growing, I mean, you're growing. This, this, this room is too full. Thank you. This room is too full. Some of you need to go to the next service. <laughs> and so as you grow, it's going to be tempting to love the growing building of the church rather than drilling down into what Jesus assigned to us. Author Mike Breen says it well in his book. He wrote a book called Building a Discipling Culture, which I really love. He says, if we make disciples, we always get the church. But if we build the church, we rarely get disciples. And if you look around in American culture, that's what you'll find. You'll find some really good churches, and you'll find places where people have good worship services, and, and it looks pretty, and they serve nice coffee, and, you know, it's all, and, and, and it's just this weird surface corporate vibe that doesn't drill down into people's lives. And that's true everywhere. It's true in Austin, Texas, and it's true right here in Maine, I want you to realize that the authority that Jesus gives us is for making disciples. He gives us his presence and his authority to make disciples. And so the emphasis, though, interestingly enough, as you look at this verse, is not on go. It's actually on disciples. The, the way you could interpret this verse and the way it's translated, if you peel back the layers in the original language, what it sounds more like is, as you're going and wherever you go, I want you to... Make a disciple. Wherever's going on in your life, whatever you're doing, whatever you're involved in, whatever's happening, whatever little league your kids are in, whatever uh, hobbies and habits you have, whatever job you're in, I, whatever you're doing, whatever culture you find yourself in, I want you to make disciples. Jesus expects us to make disciples as a natural byproduct of following him. But we live in an individualized culture, so we tend to think that it's about our personal relationship with Jesus. And then I'm going to toss a few helpful things, you know, to PQ, and I'll help, you know, I'll help every once in a while, teach some kids, or I'll toss something in the offering bucket. And... No, Jesus asked us to do something even more invasive, more connected, more communal, and notice how this idea of teaching, he says, he says, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says this really crazy phrase, and I want you to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Everything? I want you to teach them to obey? Now, here's the problem. Teaching people what to obey is different than teaching them how to obey. Everybody wants to tell people what to do. Do you know, if your parents in the room, you know the difference. You know the difference. It's, it's like teaching your kids to brush their teeth. For several years, I have five kids. For several years, I would, I would challenge my kids. I would be like, if you don't brush your teeth, there's a giant needle that's going to go into your gums <laughs> at the dentist. I, can, I tried to inspire them. Look at this picture. Look how white your teeth can be. Look how beautiful it is. It doesn't matter how many threats or how many inspiring talks I gave to my kids. What did I find myself doing at the end of the night, right before bed? Did you brush your teeth? Yes. Let me smell. <laughs> no. No, let me see. No, you got sweaters on those things. What are you talking about? Give me the, give me, let me show you. No, you, okay, show me how, and there, no, let me show you how to get, ah, 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 dad, 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 that hurts, that hurts. Yes, this is how you have to brush your teeth. I showed them how to do that for years. <laughs> like, I, for like, I was like, at one point I was like, maybe my kids are not smart. Maybe they can't learn it. I don't know. <laughs> Our problem is, is disciple making takes way too long. It takes way, you gotta be, you gotta be invested way longer than seems worth it. This is what Jesus calls us to do. Now the idea of being a disciple can be intimidating for a lot of people. Like, okay, I'll be a disciple. Okay, okay, I'll try to be a disciple. Okay, great. But to be a disciple maker? What? I can't do that. I haven't been to seminary. 
Look at, look at this, look at this little graph here. If you see this, everybody, here's, here's what, there's two groups that think about what <laughs> disciple making is or what being a disciple is. Usually it's this, well, isn't that for the serious people? Isn't that for the people who like really going to go deep? Like that's what a disciple is. It's the people who are like, like the deep stuff that's really awesome. No. No. Disciple is everybody. There are no Christians, and then a some segment of those Christians are disciples. That's not how it works. In fact, in Matthew 7, Jesus makes it pretty clear. He says, a bunch of you will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and, but you're not doing anything. I tell you, you're going to look like, we cast out demons, and we healed people, and we did stuff. And he'll say, get away from me. I didn't know you. Whoa. Didn't know that verse was in the Bible, did you? This is, this, the problem is, no, disciple making is not just for the, the experts. In fact, there are no experts in the body of Christ. There are no experts. You think I'm an expert because I'm up here holding this microphone, but I have real problems. Because I'm human. Because I need, that's why I need Jesus. That's why I'm so convinced. That's why I stand on the front row and cry. Because I know that Jesus is my only hope. But then there's, on the, uh, on the other side, it's like, oh yeah, discipleship, yeah, that's for the new Christians. You know, that's for the new people. They don't know the Bible stories. And they just need to go learn the Bible stories. No. No. It's for everybody. We must realize that there's something here about disciple that means an apprentice of Jesus and his life. I want you to say that word, apprentice. Say it one more time. Apprentice. As a person who will pattern their life after Jesus and his ways, the way he does things, committed to following, learning, loving, and intentionally helping others find Jesus. This is what we're called to do. And we must realize that if we're going to be a disciple, that automatically, automatically means you're going to help other people follow Jesus. You're going to. That's what you do. That's what you're called to do. That's what I'm called to do. That's what we're all called to do. We're called to walk with other people and help them follow Jesus. Now, the way this happens best is you're in some kind of weekly small group with some people. The way this happens best is you're in some kind of relationship with people and you live close enough to them. I know, it's, distance is so weird. I was talking to Garrett right here. He's driving me from the airport and I was like, how long, how far away is this? Blah, blah, blah. And Austin, 20 minutes is like next door. And here's... 20 minutes is like, yeah, it's fine, yeah, it's nice. But 30 minutes, 40 minutes, oh, why would I ever drive 40 minutes? Time, is time and distance is really relative. I want to challenge your way of thinking about what it takes to be a disciple. You've got to be integrated and involved in other people's lives. And that has to be close enough to you that there's more interaction than just a once a, a, a week service. There's got to be a small group. There's got to be grocery store sightings. There's got to be little league. There has to be, you know, there's all this stuff. The Apostle Paul describes this process in the, his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Oh, oh a whole sermon, a whole message right there. You got to be strong in the grace, be strong in the favor, be strong in your identity, be strong in who you are, be strong in who Jesus says you are, not in who you think you are. You be strong in the grace that God's given you. And when you do that, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who also be qualified to teach others. Hold your four fingers up. Four fingers, four fingers, hold them up. There's four generations in that scripture right there. Look at it. You, my son, be strong in the grace of God, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of witnesses and trust to people who will, reliable people, reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Whoa. That's four generations of people. That's the plan. That's what you see Jesus doing with his disciples. Four generations of disciple making. Now, when I first planted one chapel, I remember seeing Christians who would come, and they'd come to the church, and I was like, 
finally, some good, mature Christian people. They're coming to help us. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> and what I learned over and over and over again is they were just unhappy with their church. What I learned over and over again is they looked mature on the outside, but they were emotionally immature. They were spiritually not mature. And I was disappointed over and over and over again, and then it occurred to me, oh, I'm, I, I've got a novice expert way of thinking. And listen, I, make no mistake, we grow in Christ. Some of you have grown for a lot of years, and you're, and, but you're still afraid to develop a relationship with somebody where you make an investment into their life because you feel inadequate. You know all the Sunday school stories. You've been in church a long time, but helping somebody figure out how to do their life and follow Jesus, I don't know. I mean, isn't that PQ stuff? No. It's for all of us. It's for all of us. I've been in a lot of small groups, and I'm sharing this with you because this is what our church is going through, so I'm just sharing with you kind of my journey. And the reason I'm sharing this journey is because I'm watching it happen. I'm watching people who have been Christians for a long time suddenly get excited about the reality of watching a new Christian, of watching a, a person who just came to faith grow in their, in their expression and their experience. And you know what it does? It melts the heart of an old codger Christian like nothing else. The old codger that used to be so critical of the pastor's messages now isn't really concerned about that because you know what he's doing? He's finding Jesus in his small group of men that he's just walking with and watching Jesus do stuff in them. That's, that's, the, that's the stuff. That's the stuff. Everything else, what we just did was awesome. This band, amazing. What we're doing together, this is awesome. You can't make disciples here. You can have encounters. You can engage Jesus. Every service, you know what it is? It's an opportunity for a decision. It's an opportunity for us to have Jesus say something to us, and we can be changed in a moment. But to keep the change, guess what you got to do? You got to walk it out. I was told this community has a bunch of hardworking people. You don't respect people who don't work hard. And I think that's true of Christians. This life of faith is challenging. And that's why you need help. Oh, there's another problem. We don't like to ask for help, do we? I heard that about you too. If you have to ask for help, you're weak. If you ask for help, you're going to... That guy. That rugged individualism is an awesome American quality, but when it comes to Jesus, it doesn't work. So you're going to have to undo it. You're going to have to... You're going to have to shed this outer husk of toughness and hard work. And let somebody else on, in, on the inside where Jesus is doing his best work. And you got to let somebody else in on that. And here's the cool thing. If you're an older person or a younger person, it works both ways. I'm in some small groups where the, the most um, inadequate, untrained, young Christian man who's totally messed up is saying things in the atmosphere of where the Holy Spirit is speaking to him and it's blowing my mind. And I'm growing because of him. That's what disciple making is. It's, he's, I'm getting made into a disciple because this guy who doesn't know a thing about the Bible, everything he knows about the Bible, I already taught him. <laughs> he's changing me. He's not doing it. The Holy Spirit is doing it in this guy, and I'm watching that happen, and I'm close enough proximity to see it happening, and it's changing the way I think about my own life and the way I think about what God is doing in the earth. Listen, if you don't have that, you're missing it. You're missing the stuff. 
That's what we got to do. Now, now here's, here's what happened in our church. We had small groups. Just put that, put that next. Uh, we had Sundays. We had groups. We had teams. We have uh, something called OC Connect. We were getting people connected to the church. And we had a thing called Catalyst, which was awesome. Catalyst was like, our, it was, it was like a program, a class, a series of classes. It was, it was awesome. Outreach. How, you know, all those things are awesome. They're all good. They're all amazing. They're necessary. But what I realize, those are just the things above the surface. And if there is no disciple-making engine underneath this surface, you can't go anywhere. You kind of just keep dealing with the same problems over and over again. People come to church and they repent and then they go out and repeat. Repent, repeat, repent, repeat. See, Jesus, his idea was repent and believe. Not repent and repeat. <laughs> repent and believe. Now, you will have to repent over and over again, but if you finish the circle, if you come back around from repent to believe, you start to act different. So you're repenting, but you're believing in what God's doing in you, and your things are changing in your life. That transformation is disciple-making, and that engine has to be happening underneath the surface. And what I realized was our church was doing too many social things that were awesome, too many topical groups about their, what they're interested in. And I'm not opposed to topical groups. You, you guys maybe have them here. Topical groups are great. You got to get Jesus in those topics. <laughs> Jesus got to drill down in those topics. I realized we were, we were just doing too much surface stuff, and we are in a unique cultural moment with division and chaos all around us. I don't know if you've noticed. If you watch the news, you can't stop it. It's a mess. The last two and a half years, the three, last three years, have been incredibly challenging for the American church. And I, I, I'm, I've said this over and over again to my church. I said, listen, everybody, we are too discipled. We are more discipled by our politics and our media than we are by Jesus. Our filters are full of our politics and media. That's where we get most of our information. Oh, I'm sorry. You're a Christian. You're supposed to get most of your information from the Holy Spirit, from the scriptures. And when we, when we subscribe to consumerism, when we subscribe to the information systems that we have here, and that becomes our filter for everything we talk about, everything we evaluate, every, every, every uh, conversation you have at the, at, the, at the, what is it, the water cooler. Is that what they used to, nobody does that anymore. Nobody knows what a water cooler is. <laughs> we got to start living out of our kingdom identity. I'm going to show you this, and then I'm, I'm going to close. I'm going to show you this. Just one in four Americans, Barna Report, okay? Barna Report, one in four Americans is a practicing Christian. Everybody say practicing Christian. You didn't know there were non-practicing Christians, did you? There are lots of them. They're the kind of people who believe something, but it doesn't really impact their lives. This describes it. Okay, how Americans relate to Christianity from 2000, year 2000, all the way to 2020. Now look over here, see the red dot, it's practicing Christian over here. Non-practicing Christians, you know, they've been counting them. Barna's been doing this, this kind of study for 20 years. And you see, the, you see the, the graphs moving, you see the non-practicing Christians go up here in 2012, there's an intersection point there. Um, Non-Christians are just kind of hanging out at the bottom of the graph. But look where the red graph goes. It goes from 45% all the way down to 25%. Now look at this. In our nation, our cities, it's been cut in half. Practicing Christians. What are practicing Christians, you might ask? Here's the definition. It's super simple. It's, they identify as Christian. Oh, brilliant. And then they agree, they agree strongly that faith is very important to their lives. And they have attended church within the past month. Practicing Christians, this is the baseline. I went to church once, and it's very important to me. <laughs> I went to church once this month, and it was really important to me. What? We have fallen so far away from what Jesus intended. Our individualism, our consumerism, our careerism our chasing the dream, our addiction to convenience. 
Pastor Ross, what you're saying is sounds hard. I don't know. Is that is that really what Jesus? I thought this I thought this thing was like free and light. <laughs> I don't know about you, but life is hard. If we took time to tell everybody's story in this room, we would find heartbreak after heartbreak, difficulty after difficulty, challenge after challenge, sadness, disappointment. Every human has that experience. It's why we need Jesus. So yes, this freely and lightly thing, it's real. But people have to surrender everything to get it. And that's the problem. Will we surrender it all? That's the struggle. Luke 9, if you drop down there, Luke 9, 23, this is what Jesus said. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. This is the great paradox of Christianity. Jesus is saying this to his disciples. He's saying this to all these people. You can imagine the disciples coming to Jesus and like he's sending them out to these villages and they come and, they, and, they, and, and, and they're, they're listening to Jesus saying, now wait, what's the message again? Like take up your instrument of death, the cross, and deny yourself. And Jesus, you got to get a new marketing strategy because this isn't going to work. <laughs> I want to encourage you that when Jesus sent them out, that he's... They began to see miracles, and they were so overwhelmed by it. They came back to Jesus and said, this is awesome. Even the demons are subject to us. This is amazing. We can cast out demons. Yeah. What I want you to think about is you all have the power to cast out demons because you have the authority of the name of Jesus. So that's, a, that's like Christianity 101. People, most people don't think of it like that, but that's what it is. Christianity 101, you can cast out demons. The problem isn't casting out the demon. The problem is what happens after the demon leaves. And does anybody hold that person's hand and walk with them for the next three years to help them? And if you don't have people like that in your life, you have to change that. We have to change that in our culture, in our American culture, because we're losing what Jesus intended. Last thing I'll say here, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So life, this life of freely and lightly, it comes, it reveals itself in the midst of you walking with other people and the, the, the way we're helping each other follow Jesus. But as uh, a guy I really respect, John Mark Homer, he said this, he said, if we want to receive the life of Jesus, we must take on the lifestyle of Jesus. If we want to take on the life of Jesus, if we want the life that Jesus has, we've got to take on his lifestyle. His, we've got to pattern ourselves. We've got to become apprentices of how he did it. Apprentices of how he did it. John Mark Homer, he came up with these three things, and I'm just going to end with this. Be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. Number one, you and I have to be with Jesus every day. Whatever you, whatever, you're walking around. Like, like, here's the thing. He is with you. Do you realize this? He's with you. And even if you don't acknowledge him, he's like there. When you're at the post office, he's like, <laughs> he's trying to, he's like, he's with you. But you being with him is different. He's waiting for you to invite him into everything. You're having that business lunch. Jesus is in that third chair sitting there. He's like, hmm. He wants you to invite him into everything. Be with Jesus. Be like Jesus, number two. Oh, be like Jesus. What? Now you just lost me. Pastor Ross, it was a great message until that point. I can never be like Jesus. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. That's the miracle of salvation. It's the miracle of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. It's the miracle of what God does in a broken person who acknowledges their brokenness and yet experiences a life that is beyond anything they could have imagined. Be like Jesus. What was Jesus like? Well, he was nice to people, he was kind, he was caring. See, I'm done. 
He was kind. He was caring. Now, who was Jesus? Who did Jesus reserve his worst anger for? The religious people. Stay away from religion, people. (laughs) Stay away from it. This is not what we're doing here. You guys are here primarily because there's a lot of religion out here, right? But you're here in this place because that's not what you're doing. You're doing something about with relationship, and that is that's what it has to be. So you become like Jesus. You treat people with dignity and respect. You care for them. And then, number three, you do what Jesus did, which is what? What did, what did Jesus do? Man, he served people everywhere he went. Do you know, what, you know what the main thing Jesus did? You know what the main problem Jesus had? Every time he was on his way to somewhere else, somebody else would come and ask him for something. You can read it. Read through the Gospels. Every, he's on his way over to some guy's house to heal his daughter, and some lady touches his, the hem of his garment. And he's like, hey, what's, what's going on here? On another story, he's on his way, doing, getting ready to go to somebody's house, and a, a, a funeral procession happens, and, and, and it's interrupt. I want you to notice, here's the thing that Americans are terrible at, interruptions. You guys, most interruptions may be opportunities for God to break through. What if you could just think like that? What if you could just act like that? What if you could not get so bent out of shape because you didn't get your thing done today? Ooh, it's hard to say to hardworking people. No, I got to get stuff done, Pastor Russ. What are you saying? I got to pay the bills. Yes, you do. But the mindset you must pay the bills with is not that you do all this stuff and I take care of my business and I get things done and that's how I become so successful. All of us need Jesus to provide for us. All of us need to recognize that we work hard. We commit to working hard. And then Jesus provides. But if it, if we're, do you know what Paul says? Okay, I keep saying it's the last thing, so I'm going to like three more times I'm going to say it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Paul says this thing. He says, you got to figure this out. He says it in Colossians. He says, You can't work for your boss thinking that you're just working for him. You have to treat your supervisor. You have to treat her as if you're working for God and not for men. It's just an illustration of everything in our life is about God and his interaction with us. And we we invite him with us every day. We become like him in 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 our character and our nature internally. And then we begin to do the things he did, which was serve people, deal with interruptions, take care of moments where people were in need, and reveal that the kingdom of God was among us. That's what we're called to do. Close your eyes and bow your head. Do you do that here? I mean, you know, you, I guess you don't have to if you don't want to. I just want you to know how um, thrilled I am to share the scriptures with you. And I, and I know that a bunch of stuff I said today, PQ said be, times before, but I'm here to emphasize for you on behalf of the Holy Spirit the things that are truly priority for your life. I'm here to just bang this bell and just say, hey, don't forget. There's a lot of good stuff, a lot of good things happening here. God's doing some cool things. He's calling us to change people's lives. But to do that, it's got to be a little bit messier. It's got to be a little bit more invasive. It's got to be a little bit more hand-to-hand combat. It has to be a little more connected. It has to be a little more loving. There has to be this pouring out of your life because that's how Jesus did it. He poured himself out. And when you do that, you will find that the Holy Spirit provides all that you need. 
all that you need emotionally, all that you need spiritually, all that you need financially, all that you need relationally. That's what God does when we pour ourselves out like this. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. And two kinds of people in the room. First kind of person, been a Christian for a long time, trying to figure out, you know, just how to live and serve. And, and there's nothing really wrong, but you realize today, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm too self-consumed. I'm, too, I'm thinking about what I want most of the time, not what Jesus is trying to do. And I'm not invested in another person. I go to a small group when I can. I don't prioritize people in a way that I realize Jesus wants me to. And today I want to lead you in a prayer of just repentance and say, Jesus, I see it. I hear it. I understand what you're calling me to do. I don't know how to do it. I don't know exactly how to make it all work, but I know, I know you're calling me to something that's more than what I've been able to do or willing to do. And then the second type of person in the room is a type of person who's, maybe you're just still investigating the claims of Jesus in a way, right? You're like, like you, you want to believe, you're just on the verge of it. Maybe you even have said the prayer, but man, your heart, your life is so full of other things things and other junk and today there's a decision that you realize Jesus is calling you to and that is a decision of total and complete surrender and I want us to I want us to pray I want us to ask God to do something beyond our own strength to ask God to do something beyond our the power of this collective group the gifts and talents in this room so amazing and yet the Holy Spirit wants to unearth a burden for people a burden for others that will walk with them hold their hand and encourage them to follow Jesus with us so father we come to you and we repent for just letting life take over we repent for letting work be the defining characteristic of our lives we repent Lord for our consumerism we repent for convenience as the thing that I strive for or maybe the pride that has come up in me because I am such a hard worker but I've never translated that to working for you Jesus so forgive me forgive me I ask you to come in and change me move me in the direction of following after you in a greater measure and and help me to reach out and take somebody else's hand to connect with them in a way that is more meaningful and more intentional than I've ever thought could happen and father all of us here we just pray lord that our hearts would be exposed to this massive love that you have for others and this willingness to surrender to everything and for the person in this room that's feeling the love of God just come upon them in a way today that they want to respond Lord I I ask you to change our hearts today change us make make us new today in this prayer and then help us to walk it out. <laughs> not just an encounter, not just an experience, but a lifestyle that begins to emerge of being with Jesus every day, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. Lord, would you help us? Help each one of us. We respond to you now. We say yes, yes, yes. Whatever it takes, whatever it looks like, yes. Whatever you want, yes. We thank you for giving us not only the insight into why we need to say yes, but Jesus, you do this last thing. I pray this last thing. We agree that this isn't just about our will, but this is about your will. And you're giving us the desire to do it. So not only do we say yes, but we thank you for the help, the power, and the desire to do it. I pray for this church. I pray for this group of people that they would, there would be multiplication in their future.
because they believed that they had to follow Jesus not by themselves but with someone else. I thank you for this and I pray your love and mercy would guide us, chase us down and keep leading us forward. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. Thank you guys. It's great to be with you today. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.